0: Nailer's Natter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development. At PNA 1977
1: on Twitter. Nailer's Natter, just talking to teachers.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's Nailer's Natter. And this week I'm in conversation with Aziza Ajak, the Vice Principal of Goresbrook Secondary School. I'm in conversation about our mutual love of all things science teach first, and leadership. And we're going to reference Aziza's excellent blogs and her writing is reflective of many listeners' journeys, so this is an essential listen. I'm also going to signpost listeners to Aziza's Crowdcast with the marvellous Niall Alcock. I just want to publicly thank Niall for his support during my uh, technical issues in the last few weeks and signpost them to his excellent We Are In Beta podcast as well. In the podcast pedagogy section this week, I am reading a non-educational book. I know, shock horror. And the book in question was a birthday gift from child two, and is entitled "The Art of Resilience" by Ross Edgley, and it's strategies for an unbreakable mind and body. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's Natter with Aziza Ajak. Okay, so hello, Aziza, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Phil. And thank you very much for doing this. We're just discussing off-air listeners. Again, we like to timestamp these uh, podcasts. So as we speak at the moment, it is Thursday the 11th of June, and we are just discussing how to get uh, classes back into school on top of the vulnerable and key workers. But we've just both agreed off-air that is not something for the podcast as it's far (laughs) too contentious. So instead of that, we'll go for a nice, gentle introductory question. So could you just start by telling listeners about your career journey to this point, including your 10%, which you described as more like 100% bravery, uh, being 100% braver on your journey to becoming an assistant head teacher. Uh,
1: yeah, so um, I think growing up, definitely at um, uh, like secondary age, I think I I you wanted to be a teacher and I wanted to be a, a head, was um, was really kind of inspired by the head teacher that I had at the time. And then I went to uni and the eyes opened and I thought, oh, what, what on earth, why on earth would I want to be a teacher? And absolutely. Absolute madness. So let me try something else instead. Um, I spent some time doing some research and masters and other things before deciding that actually, like teaching was definitely um, like what I'd always wanted to do. So that's that's what I ended up doing. Um, I trained to teach first. Um, I worked in a school in Camden for two years, which was uh, a really challenging experience, but I kind of learned a lot there. And then I happened to bump into a, um, a head teacher who was opening this free school um, and was starting essentially building school from scratch and she happened to be my old science teacher so taught me when I was at school and said uh, like come and be a head of department at this school I'm setting up at which point I said you must be crazy I am an NQT um, and why nurse like would I be looking to be a head of department at this stage and she said well it's starting from scratch so you know it's gonna be a small team that will grow year on year so like, actually it's probably quite an opportune uh like a moment to develop those leadership skills whilst the team is growing so i applied for the job got the job um, and i've kind of been at this school since so um, students are now in year 10 which is like really exciting and um, so did um two years as a head of science did a stint as had a math for a bit uh then became an associate senior leader then approval premium, then became an AP, then of teaching and learning uh, and assessment. Uh, and yeah, and most recently kind of become uh, VP in charge of curriculum assessment and various other things. Um, so I think for me, why I talk about 100% Braver is because 10% just didn't cut it for me. Um, it felt like it was way more than that to be sat uh, at, on, on, a, on interview, um, like being the youngest candidate uh, or being like the person with the least experience, uh, and trying to come across as someone who's credible, who knew their staff, who was like the right fit for the job. So for me, it just felt like 10% wasn't quite enough. Um, and like, it, to me, it felt like 100%, which is where that's come from.
0: And in terms of 100%, I mean, you, you've touched on it there, but I think you're currently responsible for curriculum, teaching and learning and behaviour. Is that right?
1: Uh, no, so uh, oh, at the moment I'm, uh, so, so my role this year has been largely everything but the pastoral, and so everything but kind of behaviour and safeguarding. Um, and I'm moving into a VP role that is largely curriculum and assessment with a few other bits as well. Um, but yeah, I've definitely dabbled in, as you do in like a small start school, dabbled in multiple areas of kind of leadership.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be something we're going to talk about very much later on. So I'm going to go back through your blog post, if that's all right. So we're going to go Mm. back to March 2018, and this is one that struck me as maybe um, really applicable at the moment. So um, you asked the question, is it as simple as just saying thank you, how to value and develop individuals in a resource-limited school? So how can SLT, particularly now, genuinely demonstrate that they are valuing their staff? Um, uh, Well, uh, so I
1: think it's, I think thank you is really, really important. And I think it's a it's a really powerful two words that you can say to someone. But that only works when it's genuine. Um, it only works when you get a timing right. It only works when you're clear on what you are thanking that person for. And that person kind of values you saying thank you to them for that thing. Um, so whilst I think, in essence, it seems really simple to just say thank you, it's, it's much more complicate, complicated um, and I think it requires a lot more thought than people think and so and, and particularly in our context right now the challenge is you, you don't have those corridor conversations you know walking past someone or bumping into them into the staff, staff room or like saying oh that was job well done also we can't always see what everyone's doing um, because people are working at home and, and you know I, there's members of staff that I haven't seen now for so, like weeks on end. So I've got no kind of insight or well not too much insight anyway into into what they're doing. So um, I think you've got to be d- deliberate and strategic about saying thank you. Um, and it means that you have to think very carefully about, uh, particularly at a senior level, like who on your team is like very good at that, that and has that skill set and then map opportunities to be able to talk about like what your staff are doing and like how you're going to show Gratitude and and like how are you going to say thank you? Uh, and I don't think that costs very much. Like there's there's a cost in terms of time, but it, it doesn't cost any any very much financially to be able to get that bit right. And I think it makes a huge difference to how people work and operate in the school and them seeing them feeling valued.
0: Definitely. Sorry for the pause there. I'm experimenting with the with the mute button on my uh, fancy microphone because, oh, having, right. <laughs> <laughs> as listeners will know, having listened back to a few of my podcasts recently, it's the sound of uh, slurping tea and rustling paperwork, <laughs> which is <laughs> not a good combination for the back of that. So, apologies for the slow response there, but you're, you're, you're absolutely right uh, in terms of you know the saying thank you and valuing staff. And, and now, more than ever, because, and you said it earlier in your answer, no one has any idea. You have to look at the public discourse at the moment around. Mm. You know, what teachers are or aren't doing and just speaking personally, and this is not to try and say, you know, oh, poor me, but I don't think that we've ever worked harder than we currently are at the moment. You know, the amount of time that we're spending yeah. on conference calls and the number of, number of phone calls having with staff, exactly as you said, about You know, those corridor conversations are now being replaced by phone calls, video conferences, meetings. So it's really important Mm -hmm. to recognise what everybody's doing and and have a bit of empathy and a bit of understanding with how to juggle that alongside all the other priorities. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very true. So something else that's of the moment um, is recruitment and you know, virtual recruitment is becoming a new thing, something I never thought yeah. I'd, I'd kind of be involved in. <laughs> but also, and this is very topical because it actually was on Twitter last night um, about new staff induction because obviously members of staff have been starting, whether it be Easter or whether they're going to be starting at the end of the year, ready for next year. So how do we go about getting recruitment and new staff induction right? And hopefully I'm saying this right, Aziza. So what is Fri-Yay Trolley?
1: Oh, well, I'll come back to the Fri-A trolley and give you a little bit of insight into into what we do. Um, Yeah, so I think uh, like for me or for us anyway, the starting point on recruitment has been been about being really clear about what it is that we want in a candidate and trying to make sure that like our adverts are really, really specific to that, that we get that we give um, people a sense of what we're about, um, but we're clear about what we're looking for as well. Because you want that recruitment process to be a two-way thing. It's very much about um, someone, you know, assessing whether that organisation is right for them, and the organisation assessing whether that person is right for the organisation. So I think you've got to be really clear about what it is that you want. And then generally, like, you've got to think about the things that are really hard to develop. So, um, like, having people that are aligned to like your mission, your vision, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, is key, and you you can't teach that or develop that very well. and so you want to think about your recruitment process and how it allows you to assess whether people are aligned to your mission and your values. and that's kind of been a driving focus of our like recruitment um, process. and we are kind of less interested about like, of course, your knowledge and skills are important, but those are things that can be developed. so, you know, in our recruitment process kind of normally and not virtually, we get people to teach one of our centralised lessons because we operate with a centralised um, kind of lesson system and then get them to reteach it because for us, you know, feedback is critical to what we do and, and, and practice is also critical to what we do. So we, we want to find people who who value that process and respond well to that process because that would mean that they're kind of aligned to, to what we're trying to do. I think the challenge then in doing that work ver- Actually, is that you have to design tasks that are going to allow you to test out that alignment. Um, and that's that's hard. Like, we've probably gone round and round as to kind of different ways to set up the task, particularly setting up tasks around teaching. Um, and so, you know, one of our things is we spend a lot of time um, like thinking about how we explain concepts. That's a really important part of our teaching philosophy. And so, um, we actually just gave candidates a a topic and said just explain it to the panel like don't do the kind of questioning or how you deliver it in a classroom like just five minutes just explain it um and trying to look at ways that we can translate those those elements into a kind of like a virtual context but yeah i think i think for me it would be about being defining what it is that you are looking for in those candidates making it really clear what you're about and what it is you're looking for on the adverts, Um, making sure that it's a two-way process and being honest about it being a two-way process, Um, and then trying to assess um, those kind of non-negotiables about people being aligned to your organization, like how people behave and how they work and and what you're all about. Um, And and that's kind of like generally been kind of our take on recruitment. I think on the kind of new staff induction um, piece, I think there's two parts. So there's a the kind of macro stuff, which is, you know, sharing your like behavior policy and sharing your approach to curriculum and sharing your, like, teaching and learning approach. And then there's a the micro stuff, which is, do I have a login to, like, laptop or how do I photocopy or how do I put in an order? Uh, and both of those things are important. And I think it's important not to kind of ignore some of those micro things because those are the things that enable people to like be successful when they start at, at your school so for us I think virtually um, and given this current time there's a lot for us to think about it's easier to do the macro stuff because we can you know we're doing a series of webinars for example um, we've got probably about six or seven of those webinars that that, that we're delivering but um, the micro stuff is probably going to be harder because we also don't know what it looks like so I think that's something Definitely for us to um, think about, and the other thing that I, I've been reflecting on this more recently, and I've literally just done a new staff induction session on curriculum with our new staff. And uh, I think the other thing to consider is that people get lots of information. Like new staff induction insert is lots of information, and people aren't going to remember it. Like that's just the reality. So, like, what is it that you want people to really take away and pinning that down? So, for me, in terms of curriculum. Um, I wanted people to come away understanding, like, to having having a gut, an, an emotional response to how we make decisions about our curriculum. So, for example, we believe, like, 100% in curriculum equity, and that every single child should have access to the breadth of the full curriculum, and that we shouldn't limit or cap students. Now, that is kind of a bit of a feeling. There's lots of things that we do to ensure that that happens, but it's a bit of a feeling, And so I I want people to feel and experience why that's important. And that's something that's more likely to stay with them than, well, this is a document that we use for planning. And this is another document that we use to, um, sort out this element. They're more likely to go away from that conversation with a sense of, of, of those feelings. And so that's, that's what we're trying to focus on, particularly in relation to new staff induction. Um, and then the Friday trolley, uh, well, um, it was actually an idea uh, that came about. I think our head had happened to be speaking to someone who worked in the business world. And they talked about this, um, this idea that like on a Friday, um, there were lots of food available and people just had a chance to kind of chill out at the end of the week. And so we decided to implement a, um, Friday trolley that is generally themed. Um, and it arrives at three forty-five. Um, it's driven by usually by, although we, um, this changed at some point it was driven by some senior leaders um we tend to have like an uh like some music linked to the theme playing from the trolley and it's just full of lots of goodies so like um like food like drinks and um, sweets that sort of thing we've had um like a bingo one we've had a board games one um and it just gives people a chance of, like to stop off really before they like head home and have a bit of a chat like some some people kind of grab a drink to go and um and it just gives people an opportunity to have some downtime at, at the end of the week. Uh, but it's just become a fixed thing now that happens every Friday. And we're actually thinking about how we might do our virtual fire trolley at the moment.
0: Oh, sounds fantastic sounds fantastic i think there's another idea that i'm adopting straight away you know right write, <laughs> right writes write in notebook as he's speaking so that's, that's a great idea especially the virtual one i'd love to know how that works
1: yeah uh, yeah we haven't quite figured it out yet but i'll let you know
0: <laughs> yeah definitely so uh, something from your blogs in terms of your rise through uh, leadership is that you know you're still very much teaching um classes in school as well so you're obviously a fellow <laughs> fellow scientist so in terms of your perspective that you give is also from your leadership but also from your classroom so could you give listeners a senior leader perspective on implementing whole class feedback
1: yeah so um like i think like whole class feedback kind of needs no introduction because you know we've heard lots about it we all kind of know and i think see the benefits and the value of doing like whole class feedback Um, i think for me as a senior leader um what's really important in implementing any process also recognizing that feedback is Critical to like students learning and making progress. I think what's important as a senior leader is like how you provide a framework for whole class feedback that is accessible to everyone, but it allows people to kind of develop a flourish within that framework. And then there's the piece around kind of consistency across uh, the school. And for us, that links very much to curriculum equity. So we want you know students to get a similar experience from. Um, from teachers like we, we don't want it to kind of matter what teacher is stood in front of you as to kind of what part of the curriculum or the experience you get so there is something about consistency and then there's there's, there's something about kind of quality assurance and impact and I think you know quality assurance and measuring impact is very much a part of like senior leadership uh, and an important part of school improvement and so when you're setting up something like whole class feedback where you want it to be all about kind of impact you know, and getting the balance right between the kind of time investment and the impact for students, um, I think that there's some really important considerations around, like, how you enable all of those things. Uh, and I think initially when I wrote the blog post, I think it was in response to um, some people commenting on, like, the issue with senior leaders trying to, like, mandate what it should look like and that it should be a really kind of open and free process that teachers should be able to, um, develop themselves um, and for me I felt like that that whilst yes autonomy is important like like consistency and having a framework is also very useful and you can actually get the balance of providing that that framework and providing consistency whilst allowing teachers to absolutely respond there and then to Um, like what's going on in their classroom with the children that are sat in front of them and i don't think the two things need to be at odds i just think it requires um uh like some careful thought really
0: yeah so in terms of that then you know from your blog a look in the mirror how do you go about juggling uh, all the competing responsibilities that you've got and you mentioned those at the beginning and you've got some Mm. some further responsibilities um well certainly now and heading into next year
1: yeah so i i think um it's hard I, I mean I from the outside so from people kind of being led from me or colleagues in, in, in like in my school it probably wouldn't look like I find it hard to manage all of those things um, because I would just kind of initially I just manage everything when I first started manage everything at the kind of expense of my own well-being so just working longer hours in order to be able to like do all those things um and I found that really exhausting uh and and really emotional and also um I found that it revealed the reason I called the post the look in the mirror is because it revealed elements about my like personality and tendencies um that I hadn't noticed before and that are actually like like pretty negative so I had to kind of do some some work on that um but I had to shift my mindset around my areas of responsibility because whilst I was in charge of like teaching and learning and assessment at the time, like my the fund like I'm fundamentally a teacher first, so and I love and I love my subject, so like like that is my my first love, and also my in terms of being a senior leader, like my first responsibility is to like the safety and well-being of students, and so if like, I just had to reprioritize things in my head and accept that it was okay not to do other things to a certain standard whilst those things remained like the core and the center and then looked at how I kind of prioritized my time to ensure that um actually I was you know giving time to planning my lessons and like giving students feedback and giving time to having those conversations with kids in the corridor or like popping into as many lessons as I could um and and then i had to restructure my day to to allow that to happen and so um, i end up having most of my days is like people facing so with students and all, all with staff and then i kind of protect certain times throughout the week to to do this to the work on my own teaching or my own development and um, so that that remains a priority
0: Yeah, and it's such a difficult uh, competing responsibility between being in the classroom and trying to do the leadership position. And, you know, and also, like you said, in terms of leading other people as well, because the number of times, I don't know what it's like at your school, but over the years when there's somebody at the door and then there's a year 11 class in front of you and then it's uh, the competing demands of, do I go and speak to that member of staff? Do I teach this class? How do I not upset? Because obviously, the number of staffs come to see you and it's important. So, juggling mm. all those competing responsibilities, and as you said there, you know, still keeping up to date with your own subject knowledge, your own mm. pedagogy. It's really, you know, are you an advocate of senior leaders and even head teachers still being very much in the classroom? Um, for,
1: for senior leaders, absolutely. Um, I, I think. For head teachers, I think it's I, I do think it's important, but I think you have got to get the balance right about not, um, well, doing it for the right reasons and also ensuring that the kids that a head teacher teaches are at, at a disadvantage by having that head teaching them. So I think if you can set things out so that it means that the head teacher has the time to devote to those kids and they get the very best, um, and that head teacher, you know, has a large enough team or enough capacity to be able to delegate things if things pop, pop up then i think heads like you know should be in the classroom but yeah definitely it's a senior leader i think it's like yeah it's critical it's really grounding and humbling um and also like the interactions with kids help remind you like on a hard day where you have like a hard interaction with someone in the morning or you've had to make a really difficult decision in the morning and then you step into the classroom and you're teaching those kids like that issue just quickly melts away uh and actually i find that 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 actually helps with my momentum and my resilience is being able to like still be able to teach and like get that joy out of teaching kids.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And we talked to Jill Berry about this and and Jill was very much an advocate of still teaching when she was a head teacher. But I think I'm right in saying that she double staffed the year seven class that she did to make sure that, you know, should she be pulled away for the various things that head teachers are pulled away for. There was always a member of staff in there teaching with her. So she was able to, you know, not not disadvantage the, the, the pupils, but she was able to see every single student as they came through the school by teaching that year seven class. And yeah, you're and you're right. that's a great model. Yeah, yeah, and you're right. It's still quite often the best part of the day, isn't it? I mean, I've been mm-hmm. I've been teaching again this year. It, it just Enough uh, people will say, oh, only one period. Yes, sometimes one period a day or two periods a day. But, it, you know, it keeps you grounded. It keeps you in the classroom. It keeps you understanding the kind of issues and problems that teachers are facing. But also, it's the reason that we came into the job in the first place. Yeah. You know, I still enjoy that. It's still the best part of the day. I mean, my, my students may not agree, but it's still the best <laughs> part of the day for me. Anyway, move swiftly on from that discussion. So let's look at your one of your uh, more recent blogs. So uh, new, young, or inexperienced. So I think this is something that you're going to be doing and following up on in terms of a series of blogs. Yeah. So could you share the context uh, for this discussion?
1: Yeah. So um, I think it, it's it's probably been bubbling for a while. Um, I think I, as I've spent time kind of reflecting on my leadership journey and being acutely aware that I am like young and inexperienced in inverted commas. Um, and and feeling like I've always had to overcompensate for that, um, and like credibility is such an important thing for me, and always kind of being worried about what people think of me because like of how I might be perceived. Um, but I also, I had to think about like like leadership development and like how is it that like what there there's certain elements about like my context and my journey that probably mean that I have. Like collected much more experience than others might have done in the same amount of time just because of the kind of context that I work in. So I've become interested in like what it, what it is about the context that people work in um, that helps them to develop um, like as leaders. And then I also saw a, um, there was a teacher type question um, a few weeks ago and uh, one of the blogs that came out as a result said that something like a third of heads um, were thinking about like leaving, um, like like headship and the pro- profession post COVID. Um, so yeah, don't quite me on those numbers, but there was a significant proportion who essentially um, are going to be leaving. The, well, think that they might leave the profession. Um, and so there's there's a there's a demand. Like we we've got a recruitment and a retention issue. So there is a demand for like leaders in our schools. And the general trend seems to be that, that the leaders are getting younger and younger. So. Um I was just interested really in whether there was any research on that and and what it might look like to consider like the leadership development of like like younger leaders or, or career changes, you know, people who haven't been in teaching necessarily for a long time, but that might bring um like added value in terms of their experiences from other industries. Um and that's where it started really. So I tweeted about it, lots of people clearly were interested in it, so I thought I'd write about it.
0: No, absolutely. And uh, obviously it ties in a little bit to Teach First philosophy in terms of developing uh, leaders through the leadership programme that's part of Teach First as Mm. well. Um, But in terms of the next couple of blogs in this series, what kind of things are you going to be looking at next? Are you going to be further exploring the research around this?
1: Yeah, so um, I've actually found a a research paper um, uh, which is really interesting that looks at this particular issue comparing... um, Head teachers in London, Toronto, and uh, New York. So um, the next post is going to be largely focused on that research paper and talking about the challenges and the benefits of being kind of young or or being perceived to be kind of less experienced in teaching. And then I hope to then think about like kind of top tips for those who are quite ambitious um, and kind of looking to step up and thinking about what like their leadership development might look like. Um, and then I hope to, to, to think carefully about, like, leadership development and think about, um, you know, what it could look like, like, in schools, really, and based on all the particularly lots of stuff that's come out from the Ambition Institute and the research ed around kind of leadership development and what that might look like if we were to, you know, deliver a leadership programme to, you know, people who are kind of less experienced or, or younger. Um, so, yeah, we'll see where it goes, but that's the current plan.
0: And now could be a good time for a leadership program that's kind of led by people that are obviously, you know, leaders, but relatively younger leaders because people mm-hmm. have a bit more time on their hands now. I know we've discussed that at the beginning, not suggesting that people aren't working. I'm just saying there's more <laughs> time to prioritise some CPD, yeah. for example. So it could be interesting because one of the barriers to a lot of leadership training is time and the amount of time that we physically spend in the building. So perhaps, you know, now is a good time to do something, um, and, you know, more, more virtual like that. And that might be, might be the format moving forward who knows yeah. but again that's a, that's a different discussion so let's move into the yeah. next section so um last week i was watched your crowdcast with niall Olcock, where you were talking about authentic leadership so could you just tell us list this a little bit more about authentic leadership and what you're talking about there and why it's important to talk about this
1: yeah so um uh, you know for me authentic leadership is about bringing your whole self to to your job to your leadership um and that means like bringing your emotions like your identity your experiences like humility like your baggage all of it to um, leadership Uh, and I I think that's important because like what we do about people and about like humanity um, and you've got to have that relational element in leadership Uh, you've got to have some vulnerability there otherwise I think it's really hard to connect with people and you know, what we're trying to do in school is a really, really hard job. And if you're working at a school that's in challenging circumstances, sometimes it can feel like what you're trying to do is is impossible and really hard. And so, um, like, there's some vulnerability that that is needed there. I also think that if we're going to manage, like, the various, like, paradoxes that there are in education, that you, you've got to have some vulnerability as well. So for me, um, it's 100% like key to being a good leader in any role, but it's even more important in schools. Um, and the thing that we all have as leaders, like in common, is that we all have people who follow us. And so there is also something about like how you make your followers feel, how you make people in your teams feel, because they've got to get alongside you. You know, they've got to be confident that that you know what you're talking about, that you have got a vision in mind, that you've got a strategy in place. And you've got to bring them on the journey in order to get the best out of them. And I don't think that you can do that without authentic leadership.
0: Oh, I'm back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, that was a really well attended uh, crowdcast as well. So there was quite a few questions that came up from there. So do, mm. was there any themes that that, that listeners and viewers could discuss with you there that kind of resonated that you've taken away from that crowdcast and you've kind of thought about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think um, like yeah, at first I was surprised that so many people um, would like spend an hour listening to me, uh, which was a, a, a real honour. But I think. Uh, the thing that I took away um the thing that um I had i guess I've been thinking about since is like how you like how leaders in different contexts can do that because I think i like I'm really lucky I work in a school in which you know this stuff is really important it's stuff that we value um I have a head teacher who values it and we have like lots of conversations about it and you know I feel like I can be myself I feel like I can Bring my whole self to work, and um, and that's something that we kind of encourage and promote. But I think there is a challenge for people who are working in contexts where that isn't the case, or you know where they might be joining a new new school and trying to uh, cause a shift in the culture to bring about change. And so I think that was the thing that I have spent a lot of time thinking about since is like how do you do that where the context or the environment doesn't seem to promote it. Um, I don't have an answer on that question, but that's certainly something that I'll continue to think about.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, just to finish off with, could you signpost listeners to your blog, to your website, and where they can find more information about that uh, the Crowdcast that you did with now?
1: Yeah, so um, I think the easiest thing is to um, check out my Twitter. So um, my handle is at a a j a. Um, or you can just search um, Elisa or Jack on Twitter and it will come up. Um, and my blog post is tagged there. It's called um, Venture and School Leadership. Um, and also my kind of crowdcast with Niall is pinned um, to uh, my Twitter profile. Um, the other thing is that like, you can join the real and beta community. Um, and there is lots of stuff related to that particular um, crowdcast, including the resources that I put together. And lots of other amazing, great, great
0: things and great people. Yeah, absolutely. And I would sign post listeners to that, and I'll put the link to that on on the show notes. Uh, Aziza, it's been fantastic to speak to you today. Just uh, last thing to think about is what kind of things have you got coming up in the next few weeks and months, apart from, obviously, an extremely busy day job? Uh,
1: Yes, a a few things, actually. So, UWEG, which Emma Turner runs, and I think that's on the twenty seventh of June, there um, there's been a Women Ed Eastern event um, that I'm speaking at on the second of July. Uh and also an aspiring to leaders um Blue Ed event uh that Ben Brown is running on the fourth of July. Um, so yeah, a few few opportunities there for, for people to get in touch and join.
0: Great stuff. Annie, are you exploring similar themes to what uh, you talked about with Niall or have you got slightly different themes for each of those?
1: Uh yeah, so probably I think the women ed um then will be kind of slightly um, similar, um, but uh the new ed is more of kinda of teaching the learning stuff and then the blue ed is more about kind of line management. So similar but think about the kind of practical elements to do with like being a senior leader. Um so that's exciting. Um I'm also on another podcast actually as part of the lead, the Pixel Leadership Club. Um so i have got an episode coming out in the next few weeks as well around the Brown's book
0: on um, Dare to Lead. So that's something else to check out as well. Wow, so extra, extra busy at this time. Well, thanks for finding time yeah. in your schedule today to talk to us, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be tuning in to, uh, to New Ed as well. So I'll definitely be uh, be seeing what uh, people are talking yeah. about there and, and check out your presentation as well. Aziza, thanks very much for your time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Great stuff,
0: an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Phil. No
1: problem. Nailer Snatter, just talking to teachers.
0: Podcast pedagogy. What is Phil reading this week? Podcast pedagogy. Listening to teachers. Nailers snatter, just talking to teachers. We're into the podcast pedagogy section so as i may have mentioned subtly last week was my birthday and i think it says something that child 2 bought me this particular book uh, she may have had a slight steer from her mother who is a nurse working in mental health and she's purchased what is the excellent the art of resilience by ross edgley so um what is this book about well ross if you're unaware of his work as i was is the author of the world's fittest book and is renowned for grueling athletic adventures, the most recent of which saw him become the first swimmer to circumnavigate mainland Britain. In this book, Ross draws on his own grueling experience and uh, other amazing endurance feats. So Ross analyzes his performance of extreme athletes uh, and military and fitness specialists to uncover the secrets of mental and physical fitness. Ross explores in depth the concepts of resilience, persistence, valor, and a disciplined mindset in overcoming adversity. So the book The Art of Resilience by Ross Edgley is published by HarperCollins Publishers and is available everywhere now. So if I can be permitted to sneak in a quick vinyl review Motivated by this week's historic Glastonbury coverage on the BBC, I have dusted down the Rolling Stones' Hot Rocks 1964-1971, to 1971. and it's easy to think of the Rolling Stones as they are now, the elder statesmen of rock, but this album captures their early brilliance and carries many of the band's biggest hits during their first decade, but I like the fact that the album also includes album tracks, things like Play With Fire, Under My Thumb and Gimme Shelter giving a much more well-rounded impression of their music in this era and the album is of course best on vinyl, not just for the sound but for the iconic cover photo of Silhouettes Within Silhouettes by Ron Ruffelli. So Hot Rocks 1964 to 1971 is available uh, everywhere now. Thank you very much for listening to Nailers Natter. Uh, Next week we have uh, my friend and colleague Mr Simon Cox in the chair and he's interviewing podcast legend the godfather of podcasting mr craig barton so be sure to tune in for that next friday again thank you for listening to nailers natter and we'll see you next time nailers natter just talking to teachers talking to teachers about academic research and evidence-based practice with continuing professional development at pna 1977
1: on twitter nailers
0: natter
1: just talking to teachers